Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to global news in social artistry, where we get to talk to people who are building a more humane world from the inside out. I'm your host, Dick Dalton. And my guest today is uh, on the front lines in Atlanta, Georgia, Antonio Lewis. Uh, are you there, Antonio? Yes, I'm here. How, how are you, uh, Professor Dr. Dick Dalton? <laughs> yes, we do have a little bit of history back at Lincoln University, don't we? Yes, it, we do. That, that's why I was so eager to accept. Yes. So can you refresh me a little bit? Uh, just to start with, because you graduated, what, in 2011? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I went to Lincoln uh, for four years. I, I, I think I took my freshman year, sophomore year. Yeah. But it was a rather interesting course, but very, very, uh, I learned a lot in that course. And I, I do remember you from, from teaching the course, which is a big deal when a person remembers his professor. So. Well, you know, somehow, uh, probably because of your active uh, nature with the campus uh, politics and all you uh, you stood out to me and then it just seemed like I knew you somehow <laughs> um, you were the student government president weren't you yes 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 yep yep, yep. did you did you do that board of curators thing too or was that somebody else I didn't do the board of curators but uh, I know uh, I was there when we brought that back on the board of curators, uh, we, myself, and I, I know Joshua Peters, we were pretty instrumental in, in to bringing that back. I remember Josh Peters. He sat on the front row in my class. I, and, I texted him before uh, before I met with you. I texted him and told him I was about to do this with you. Oh, great, great. Well, I wish he would reach out to me because uh, he would be an excellent person to have on the show, and uh, his service. Uh, for our state government here in Missouri. And uh, you've done a lot yourself. Uh, let's jump from Lincoln just for a minute to what's happening today, because you're uh, you're in the news. You're, I saw your picture on the, on the TV show from the news down in Atlanta, uh, leading some kind of um, protest uh, with this Black Lives Matter and with the Rayshard uh, Brooks and uh, did you know Rayshard personally? So I, I, I've met Rayshard a couple of times, but his brother, uh, I've known his brother since I was about five years old. Oh, uh, five to eight years old. We were in the same class. We, 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 we I knew his brother really close. Mm -hmm. So uh, when, when he would pass and I was down there, all of our friends, his brother and I, we share all of the same friends. So uh, that, that makes us pretty close. He's about five years younger than me. Oh, okay. Uh, so you, you were raised in Atlanta. Yeah, we were all raised in the same exact community. So same struggle. To, to understand same struggle, I mean, uh, we all have dealt with the same police brutalities. Uh, mm -hmm. We just didn't know. We don't, they, they still don't uh, know that's police brutality. They think it's just a way of life, you know, like, the police chasing you, a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, uh, we're just running from the police. We don't know that that's a form of police brutality. 
Right. We don't know that if they can we know we knew that if we got caught by the police, we would be beaten by the police, you know, be roughed up a little by the police. But we didn't know that was police brutality because we didn't know that police were not supposed to do that. You know? <laughs> right. It was just a game in a sense. Uh, that it was a game. You see them and run, even though we might not be doing anything crazy. Cause you, but when you see the police, we would just run because they were, uh, they, they were chasing us, you know, growing up, we grew up in the red dog area era. And so being from Atlanta, the red dogs, that was like a task, task force that the city of Atlanta had and they basically would just terrorize our communities uh, they terrorized our communities so much that uh, these, these were like former football players they were all all about six foot seven six foot four this is a real thing all in shape and they would ride around on the back of U-Haul trucks and uh, and literally like in like with the doors already open like the ninja uh, Ninja, like the Ninja Turtles, the door's already open so they can get a head start to chase you. And this is a real thing, you know, uh, the city of Atlanta, they did a, they, they did a botched raid into a LGBTQ club, and that's how uh, something happened to them. It went into the wrong club. How did that go down? Uh, they, they went into the wrong club, and you know, uh, they, they, so typically in the city of Atlanta, as long as you're south of I-20, you can do what you want to as a police officer, but once you become a, above I-20, you might want to be a little bit more careful. And so, uh, if, if they just went into the wrong club, you know, mm-hmm. had it been the right club, they would still be around, right? Oh, oh, so something bad happened to them because they went into the wrong club. Yeah, they went into an LGBTQ club at the time. Yeah, yeah. They the wrong heads, you know, so. Mm-hmm. They got rid of that task force, and they uh, brought them back in something else called Apex, but they got rid of most of them. Uh-huh. But it was literally a drug task force to uh, beat drug dealers. They they would their job was to scare. You know, it was a part of throwing spaghetti on the wall. You know, I believe in the city they were throwing spaghetti on the wall. That was their way of uh, dealing with the problem. Mm-hmm. The, the issue of you know what was going on in different communities. So uh, just recently, you were on a bullhorn at a protest rally. Uh, why were you on the bullhorn? Because uh, when you think about, a lot of times when I think about my community, I think about we need leadership sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to most, a lot of times when you go to, I've never been to a Black Lives Matter protest until the day Rashad Brooks was murdered. Oh. Uh, yeah. and. Uh, the reason why is because we live typically and you can look at most of the protests in Atlanta, they're held down at the CNN center. And nobody that nobody's really being murdered at the CNN center. So they happened in my community. So Rashad Brooks was murdered in my community. And I said, hey, you know what? How about we not go to the CNN center? How about we focus on the police precinct that is murdering the people? And so uh I went down. And I, I made sure we remained peaceful. Uh, I didn't, but my first time with the bullhorn, it was not my bullhorn. Uh, a former police officer who was at that uh, site, that Wendy's, he said, hey, we want to hear your voice. Because he had, you know, he'd been down there all day. He'd been watching all of the protests. He was like, hey, your voice needs to be the voice that's being heard. He said, so you need this bullhorn. 
because he knew I could tell the uh, story the right way. And so uh, he, he basically gave, encouraged me and, and he actually gave me tactics. A former police officer who was, uh, he couldn't do it himself. You know, he said they probably wouldn't listen to him. Right. But he gave me his bullhorn and I, uh, I kind of uh, kept the peace. I kept it from going to the highway because uh, we didn't want to deal with uh, Governor Kemp because we know that Governor Kemp would, would arrest us. I would prefer dealing with Keisha Lane, Mayor Keisha Lane's Bottoms because I know that Mayor Keisha Lane's Bottoms does have like a black son. So uh, she would be able to empathize with us. And if you see, if you look at what she's done on TV, she's actually done a lot of the right things. Uh, the problem is, uh, the empathy that the community wants. She's not reaching out to the community indirectly. Uh, she's mm -hmm. not reaching out to the families of the victims directly. But uh, she's doing the right things on TV and through policy. Uh, except, uh, except she's not, I don't know her stance currently on a, uh, on a bill that we're posting. So I'll, at the current time, I don't know her stance on it. So uh, policy-wise, she's done the best you would expect that America could do except as a person we would want her to call the family and say hey my condolences you know so she she hasn't done the personal touch that we wish she would do ah. and the way that she hugged you know same thing but go ahead yeah well another posting uh, that you had on your facebook page showed a bunch of armed black men at stone mountain there at the uh, uh park i believe um, what was that about? So uh, Stone Mountain is uh, owned by the Daughters of the Confederacy. Oh, uh, they own that. It's the crown jewel of it, right? So uh, the crown jewel of the Confederacy. Mm -hmm. uh, they built like the, uh, they, they have General Robert E. Lee riding a horse in a side, carved in the mountain. Uh, they have four Confederate soldiers carved in the mountain. And the more that you learn about the Daughters of the Confederacy, uh, the more you will understand what that mountain means. And the KKK still holds summits at Stone Mountain. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I know this is probably going to get shared a lot, so I'm not against none of that stuff. But, you know, to understand that the KKK still uh, meets there and the Stone Mountain Park is still part, it's owned by privately owned is not a but part of it is owned by the uh, the daughters of the confederacy it still flies that confederate flag you know so uh stone mountain is a is target place for a lot of things but uh, i did say that we, we are organized already because i think that Atlanta's the the one city in the world you really don't want to you don't want to wake up because the black people here, we, we've been organized forever. Dr. King came from here. Uh, the Civil Rights Movement headquarters was here. Mm -hmm. So it's in our blood, it's in our spirit. Uh, we just have to start walking. And mm -hmm. that, that's my whole mindset. Like, uh, we, we've already been organized. All we have to do is start moving. Mm -hmm. And now that we have a target, the target is to take funds. Uh, we need money uh, in our communities. Typically, the money is taken from different uh, different departments and cities and it's given to the police all we're requesting is that some of those funds be reallocated and reimagined to different departments like they were when they were given to the police you know mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i don't think we're asking for too much 
And we're not even asking for it to come to our pocket. We're asking for you to put it in those departments and what will and I'm not saying I got the answers. Somebody else may have answers, but I just think that I know that it needs to be reimagined. You know, so uh, are you in what's called zone three? Yeah, I live in zone three. I grew up in zone three. Uh, zone three, it it we used to here, here's the thing. In in Atlanta, growing up, we didn't have gangs, right? We had neighborhoods. And so the neighborhood I represented growing up was zone three. I used to represent my police precinct. That's how much you, you, the disconnect, like we used to like, get, the, the way we used to, neighborhoods used to fight was like, hey, I'm from zone three. I'm from zone one. And so if you're from zone three, you don't like people from zone one. You get it? And, and you know, to find out we were actually battling over the police precinct. Oh. Just, you know, just how, uh, just where we were mind-wise. Right. Like, my brother has Zone 3 tattooed on him. Oh, whoa. And that's the police precinct. That's the name that comes from the, the police precinct yeah. is Zone 3. Tattooed on his hand right here. Oh, my goodness. You know, so. Uh, yeah. Well, you are listed as a community organizer, and and I think you haven't you been appointed to some task force uh, there in Atlanta? Yes, uh, I, I've been appointed to uh, to the People's Uprising Task Force. Uh, uh, task force here uh, in the city of Atlanta is going to do a whole lot of different things. I'm excited to see where it goes. City Councilman Antonio Brown, who has been very instrumental in everything we've done here in Atlanta, uh, when it looks to like making moves toward justice for our people, uh, he's come out to everything. He doesn't just go to a uh, city council held marches. He's at people marches, which are like uh, marches against the police, which are like not scheduled. So the police are not closing down the roads, we're closing down the roads. And it feels good to have a city council person standing with you with his fist raised high. <laughs> So uh, yeah. that's why I definitely agree. I'm, I'm happy that he did assign me to the task force. Is this a fairly recent uh, development, this task force? Yeah, he. I was actually uh, appointed to it uh, last week on Thursday or Friday. That, that, that was the exact date of the uh, announcement of the task force. Uh, I literally, I was on a, a conference call, which uh, prevented me from going down to the task force signing. But the conference call, I can't talk about, but it's going to help our movement so much more, so much because I'm getting, I'm trying to involve a entity that we need right now that has yet to make a voice in what's going on in American Black Lives Matter. Wow. I'm, 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 this is something I'm, I'm working on daily right now. So. Does anybody pay you for your work? Not for this. <laughs> uh, I, I got. I do have a job, and I work. I, so I'm blessed uh, to. It's like a double double entendre, right? So I'm blessed that I made it out of the hood. That I did go to uh, Lincoln University. I'm blessed that I am marrying uh, my fiance Ashley, who's also an attorney who I met at an HBCU conference, right? So I'm blessed that I made it. But here's the other part. I know better, and I've been trained. Uh, by a labor union on how to organize. So it's my responsibility to do this. And it, 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 while it may seem like it takes me a lot of effort, I've been trained. 
So I know how to organize people and I know how to mobilize them on things. And this is something I believe in wholeheartedly. So it's not like I'm just walking wrong, I'm walking pure. And so typically if you're walking pure, uh, pure things happen to you. Wonderful, so, I like that. Well, you were SGA president back in uh, 2010, 2011. Had you been in any uh, political campaigns prior to that? Yeah, so uh, my, uh, I've, I've been president of everything I've done, man. Uh, <laughs> but not by, not by, when I was younger, it was, I, I'll say this, it's never by I wanted to do it. So when I ran for president in high school, it was because we didn't have anybody else to do it. And I knew the, the coach was like, hey, you, are, you would be, my basketball coach in high school was like, hey, you'd be the best face for the school or you're going to help us out. So just do this. So I did it. In college, uh, when I ran for SGA president Lincoln, Joshua Peters, uh, he was the current president. He told me, like, hey, you should run for president. Keep in mind, I had not held any office at Lincoln. I, I was never involved in the political stuff going on on campus at Lincoln prior to me running for SGA president. And so, but I was popular on campus because I threw part, I was, I, I just, had fun on campus, so I was popular enough to where I could win the presidency. And I was a political science major, so I was up on everything that's going on, but I, I just didn't think I should have to run for president because I thought people followed me anyway. <laughs> and so that that's when I got involved there. Uh, but prior to that, I, I guess I've always been uh, thrust into the leadership positions, including this with this, somebody gave me the bullhorn. I didn't have a bullhorn, they gave it yeah. to me. Yeah. And he told me not to give it away. Oh. That, that was a key point. He said, hey, don't let anybody else have this. He said, hold the battery. Like he gave me so many instructions that I wish I knew who he was. I didn't see him again, you know, I haven't seen him again. Uh, uh, folks listening, I'm, I'm talking to an uh, uh, old student of mine, a graduate of Lincoln University, Antonio Lewis. Uh, who's right now living and has grew up and is back uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, you said you were a political science major. Um, who was your mentor in that department? Was there a woman that was? Uh... Yeah, Dr. Gossi. Uh, Dr. Gossi got me through pretty much everything going on in Lincoln. Uh, and she, she even there's a nonprofit I've started called Organize to Mobilize. It's moving even more right now because of what's going on, which may, I started the program two years ago. I learned that term in Dr. Gossett's class. All right. I read a book called Revel for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. And that book changed my life when you think about what I do organizing-wise. But in my mind, I'm three years away. So in, in my mindset, uh, I was not supposed to uh, start organizing in my community fully for three years because I needed to save more money. I want to have kids and I wanted to uh, be in, you know, in a big house and I wanted my <laughs> wife to be uh, happy. And then I was going to go out into the community and change the community. But, uh, you know, the way God works, when, it's time, when he calls you, he calls you. And so uh, what are you going to say? Yeah. So what was the name of that Saul Alinsky book? It's called Revel for Radicals. 
Uh, it's a book about uh, organizing. Yeah. Reveille for radicals. No, revel. Oh, how do you spell that? I'm sorry. Oh, let's see. I'm, I'm here. I was hearing you wrong. It's a fairly popular book, too. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I gave that book to a person who I think is going to be a U.S. congressman. And and what piqued, what I liked much much more about the book was uh, I understood that uh, that President Barack Obama read the book before he uh, got really into uh, organizing. He read this okay. book, and Dr. Gossett told us about him reading that book. And so it even piqued my interest a little more. Sure. Well, Saul Alinsky, uh, out of Chicago, uh, actually trained a number of people that worked in Jefferson City and became uh, state legislators and community organizers. Uh, one of them, Tony Barnacle, uh, taught uh, over in the uh, business school. So uh, I don't know if you ever bumped into Tony uh, while you were there. He, he passed on just about the time you graduated, I think. Uh, but anyway, Saul Alinsky is a very familiar name to me. Yeah, good. Go ahead. No, I got the name of the book. It's spelled R-V-E. I mean, R-E-V-E-I-L-L-E. -E -E. So it's Revel for Radicals. Well, I would pronounce it Reveille. Okay. And, I'll take your pronunciation and, over and mine. The reason I say that is because in the military, Reveille is a bugle call to get up. It's time to get up and go. So uh, I think that's the, uh, that might be his analogy there, Reveille. Time to, time to get up and go. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to check it out. Thank you. No, I think it's it's about. Uh, I think I want to reread it now. Uh, it's it's about organizing. It's about oh, yeah. how to mobilize people, and I think that's what we we're we're in a mobilization uh, point of, of of our generation. I right. think generation. I think my my job, my generation's job, is to fight police brutality, and the next generation are, are taking it even further. But I think that uh, in Atlanta. We have the uh, best opportunity here to change what policing looks like in America because we have strong black leadership for 40 years. And we also have a black police department, 75% uh, black. So uh, if we can't do it here, I don't see us being able to do it anywhere else. Because not only that, we have, we're a, a city that's rich. We're not a poor city. Mm -hmm. So uh, if we're not a poor city and we have a black mayor with black sons, We've always had black mayors with black sons for 40 years. We should have these, this mayor should have enough empathy to say, hey, policing is probably done in America wrong, uh, particularly how policing came out of slavery. So something has to be wrong about it. So let's reimagine it while we reallocate funds. And I know you coming from teaching, uh, coming from an education background, you understand how how uh, money's moved around in the government. And you hear every year that the budget of education is being cut, but you never hear that the budget of policing is being cut, right? So 
when they cut education, they're reallocating that money to the police departments all across America. I think we need to change that. Well, particularly at Lincoln University, um, we're supposed to be given certain monies from the state. 1890 land grant. Right, for years and years and has never, I don't know how many since, I don't know how long it's been going on, but a long time we have not gotten, or Lincoln has not gotten its rightful due from uh, the state that they were required to, to uh, chip in. So uh, another way that monies uh, play into the quality and uh, the ability to, you know, like, well, we, we could go on and on about that at, at Lincoln, uh, but we won't. <laughs> We're with you in Atlanta. Uh, so you're not just fighting police brutality. You're, I, I'm, thinking that you're really talking about changing the way people think about what they're doing. Yeah, yes. I think the entire thing is about the mindset change because police, to understand when I, when at a, a 12 year old should not run and hide from the police. Right. So it has to be a mindset thing. My grandmother uh, should never stepping up every time the police come around because she hasn't done anything wrong. Right. You know, so she drives, uh, my grandmother was the slowest driver I've ever met in my life. When she would drive, she would also drive sitting up straight up the entire time with two hands on a steering wheel. But anytime the police came, she would tell us to sit up. She'd say, hey, there go the police. Even if they were, they could be miles apart of us. The first time she, they, they don't have to have their lights on. If they're even remotely in her eyesight, she, there's the police. Sit up, boy. Sit up. And we all knew to because they're the, we don't want to give them any kind of reason to think that we're doing anything wrong. Uh, and and I, I was thinking about the wrong thing we would probably do is uh, sometimes we would have to drive to the, to the grocery store and she couldn't leave us at home by herself. And so we would lap up in the car. And you know, you know, sitting in laps in the car is a, a legal thing, uh, mm. world. But you know, sometimes we would have to do that. But and we would be afraid that she would go to jail if she did that. So when the police would come by, if somebody was sitting in somebody's lap, we would have to hide. Oh, okay. So that we can get food to eat for that night. That's just stuff that we have to learn, so we wouldn't get in trouble with the police. Mm-hmm. No, so you mentioned that uh, uh, the word police or the, the, the practice of policing started back at slavery. Do, can you give us a little insight into that? Yeah, so uh, the po policing started from the slave patrol, right? So it was to capture runaway slaves. Uh, then it transformed. If, if you look at policing as a whole, you can, it's been to police against black folk. That's, that's what it seems to me. Uh, if you look at, if it started from the slave patrol, then they uh, transformed their way into the uh, segregation. They were policing, they were keeping, maintaining segregation law. Uh, it started off maintaining the slave law, then it started maintaining the segregation law. And now I think it's maintaining a, uh, a classism law. A lot of this stuff is classism problems, man. This is, uh, I, I know it, 
they, in, in a, the reason why I say Atlanta and classism is because, like, if you look at below I-20, that's also, you can look at the money in Atlanta like that too, right? Uh, below I-20, uh, they, aren't, they aren't doing any uh, expansion. You know, it's the poor side of Atlanta. Mm. And they are, in my opinion, the police are policing the other side of Atlanta against that side of Atlanta. And uh, it's an economic thing here. It's not even as much as a, I guess it's a systematic racism thing, but it's more about economics too, because you got black police officers killing black people as well. Uh, you know, because they think they turn blue once they put the black the flag on, you know. I don't know what that last phrase means that you said. Oh, they turn uh, blue once they put the badge on. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah. And, and, and nothing's wrong with that. I'm okay. I understand. But we just want you to stop killing us, man. I don't hate police. I, I told the police officers, I, I don't think any police officer the zone three police precinct thinks I hate them. Uh, they all secretly pull me to the side and tell me, thank you for the work you're doing. Mm-hmm. They, they all tell me, hey, I'm happy you keep it peaceful. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm happy that you're bringing attention to this because mm-hmm. they know it. They know that there's a training problem. Uh, the police, they don't, they don't even know that this $73 million that we're trying to reimagine and reallocate, they don't even know it exists. Ah. You know, so the police on the ground are not, in my opinion, they don't even know. They're innocent bystanders because they're just a part of the system, you know. A, a racist, I mean, you know, a system that was built to police against poor folk. Right. They don't have a, and, and I don't think, and, and I think it doesn't have a, a, a problem with shooting a black man. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that a police officer wakes up every day like, I'm going to go and shoot this black guy, but I don't think he has a problem with shooting down this black guy either. You know, so and that's a problem in itself. Right, and when uh, when there's not understanding and there's fear involved, um, which at least they say oftentimes. Well, it's, it's fear on both sides. I think that police are afraid of I've seen it. I looked in the eyes, uh, I, particularly in the Zone 3 police precinct. What I, what I saw there was like, hey, they've never even been confronted mm-hmm. in their lives. They've never had a 1,300 black people uh, stand up like, hey, are you sure you want to continue to do this? Mm-hmm. You know, they barricaded themselves in. Uh, that was the first time in the history of Atlanta that a precinct had to barricade themselves. And we, we, were, we were peaceful. But I told them, like, hey, this is your last time doing this to us. Like, you know, it's your last murder. And uh, hopefully they understand. I think, uh, and I definitely believe that Dr. King said it best when he said the uh, riot is the voice of the unheard. You know, protest is the voice is trying to be heard. You protest when you're trying to be heard. You know, and that's all, I, I don't think we've ever asked them. If they've never been uh, marched upon in the, the south of uh, I-20 in Atlanta, if Zone 3 police precinct has never been marched along, I don't think they've been told like, hey, you're doing wrong. And yeah. so I've been telling people first. And so yeah. I think we alerted them, hey, you're doing wrong and we're not taking it anymore. And it's well, up to them where they take that, that to. When we grow up, uh, some people played cops and robbers, and when you put on a uniform, you're you're in the game of playing the cop, and you watch it on TV and you see what they do and you get all these ideas and and the the power of the uniform. And then you got a gun strapped to your side and and uh, all of this uh, kind of uh, 
archetypal power that you take on when you put on the the, the power suit of, of of whether it's a uniform for the police or you put on your your tie with your your nice jacket and you know, you know that's the power suit of the businessman or the you know different groups have different power suits. I, I'm glad I don't I don't uh, tribute to either. So I don't have to wear a tie and suit to work, <laughs> or I don't have to uh, put on a badge and go to work. But you know, so my uh, union we actually represent police, and so I understand like I understand police are regular people. Uh, I work in communications, so I, I talk to police all the time. I understand they are literally regular people. And I'm a six foot two, two uh, 180 pound black man. I could probably beat most people, if, and I know how to fight, you know. And so I can understand if they were to run up on me, they are regular people. And they have fears like regular people. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, the problem is they are also supposed to be police officers. So we were supposed to, they're supposed to be a little better than a regular person and more trained than a regular person when it comes to handling your tools and handling your guns and stuff. So, you know, I, I know like they know uh, it, it, it isn't right. You know, they just a part of the system that needs to change. It's not them, it's the system. Yeah, systemic, yeah. I know that's what I told the police officer. I said, hey, it ain't even you, man. He said, I, I told him, you and I are cool. I can tell you and I have a, he, he's a black guy from Atlanta. He's in his 50s. I said, and he's conservative, probably like I am. Uh, probably raised by his grandfather like I am. You know what I mean? Probably raised in, raised in the church like I am. Yeah. And so I say, he told him, he said, man, you and I get along. We got a lot of the same stuff together. I said, yeah, because you respect me because I have a college degree. Now, because, uh, but if you treated me like you treat my brother, Mm. same mom same dad you know you don't treat him with the same respect that you treat me with and you know that's the problem therein lies the problem with the system because the educated black man is treated way better than you know and so and the educated black man isn't treated differently in other cities you know in Atlanta sometimes if I wear a college the reason why I wear a shirt with my college on it is so they would know instantly like hey he probably went to college so I should probably be a little nicer to him. Uh, uh, similar to me wearing a, a, a blazer in the airport over my t-shirt because they say, hey, he has on a blazer. I might, I should, should probably treat him a little better. Yeah. yeah. It's just something I learned or, or me uh, having cut a, a, a shaving face my entire life until this year uh, because I understood like, hey, uh, you know, not having a beard on your face mean people it meant people trusted you a little more. And so I was playing the game to be as safe as possible uh, because, you know, all of long knowing when, when it comes, I don't have to prove anything about being black, you know, if I have a hair on my face. So I really, my experiences of being black are so like defined. I grew up, <laughs> I grew up in the trap house like most people, like the rappers rap about the life that I grew up living, literally. And they didn't even live it. <laughs> like, so, and, and typically a lot of, even people from the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, I'm not a part, I mean, I, I am Black Lives Matter. I will say Black Lives Matter, but I don't, I'm not a part of Black Lives Matter uh, organization structure in no way form of how. I don't know, I don't think I've met one person from Black Lives Matter structure one way. I'm just a guy from my community, my neighborhood who understands like, hey, if I don't do it, nobody else will. So 
I saw a sign on one of your Facebook pictures that uh, said Antonio Lewis for state representative. Yeah, I was about I was about 22 years old, 23 years old, right? Just and, got uh, out of college. Yeah, I was literally fresh out of college, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I I knew it was a it was an open it was a, a, C, a U.S. city council a state representative by the name of Keisha Waits, right? So uh, Keisha Waits, she was a one a one year uh, she won in the incumbent in a special election, and she was only there for one year. And I knew one day my community I was going to step up in my community. Uh, if, if you recall, I said three years from now I was going to probably get back out there. Right. But uh, I thought it was time then. It wasn't time. Mm -hmm. uh, Keisha has since become a very good friend of mine. Uh, she actually uh, gave me an award. Uh, a Georgia Outstanding Citizen Award for work I was doing in my community five years ago. So 2015, I got an award for uh, being an outstanding Georgia citizen uh, for just work I was doing in my community. And I remember telling her, like, hey, I don't know what I did to deserve this award. But it was something I, you know, I had, I believe in manifesting anything. It was something I thought about uh, since I was in Missouri uh, when I saw a uh, U.S. Congressman Lacey Clay Jr. did something similar. Uh, but I thought it was more of a lifetime achievement award. I didn't know you could get it in 2024. Uh, uh, similar, our mayor of Atlanta, she just got it. She got that same, uh, well, a, a former school board chair. He literally just got that award as, as school board chair. And I was a 22-year-old kid when I got it, you know, so. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I was very uh, happy to see that and, and uh, marveled at, at the, the way your life was moving um, so successfully. When did you start helping other people's campaigns? I saw you with Udall in Colorado. What, what was going on there? Yeah, so after I lost my election, I uh, said, hey, we the reason I lost was not because of me. It had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with my organizing skills. Right. Uh, you know, so it wasn't like my, it wasn't personally. I didn't take it personally. Uh, it was more like, hey, I did not know how to raise money. I didn't really know how to organize. I had no, uh, I had no computer savvy. I didn't know anything. I just thought like, hey, I have a voice. People listen to me. Somebody told me you should run for office. So I did it. Mm -hmm. I lost by about 300 votes, uh, oh. rate only $300 so, uh, as a state representative seat, right? So yeah. I was like, that's not that bad. And, you know, and I, I wasn't, I could, couldn't be happier to lose to a bet. But uh, I started working campaigns immediately after that. Uh, Joshua Peters, who we spoke about a little earlier, he told me about the uh, President Barack Obama campaign, uh, the re-election campaign, and they needed help in uh, Colorado. Mm -hmm. So my first year helping out on campaigns was 2012. Uh, nope, I take that back. The first campaign I worked on was at Lincoln University. I worked with Brian Stump. Uh, he's a Republican judge right now in Missouri. But he, uh, I helped him out on his uh, first campaign for office. He was running for DA. Uh, Brian's a really good friend of mine, even to this day. Which lets you I don't know if uh, judges are Republican or Democrat, but he, he's my real friend. And, you know, it lets me know Democrat, Republican, no matter what, good people like good people. But that was the first campaign I worked on. We helped him win 
the DA, and I saw some of some of the work he was doing, and I was able to choose. It, and it wasn't about choosing the lesser of two evils, uh, because I knew one Republican had to win at the time in Jefferson City, Missouri, but uh, he was actually a good person. Mm -hmm. uh, we we actually hung out like a lot. I, I hung out with him probably every Tuesday for a year. Wow. So, mm -hmm. so you went from Brian Stumpy to uh, Barack Obama. Obama's campaign, yep. And President Barack Obama's campaign was more of me being a, a field organizer. So I, I was getting voter registration forms, knocking doors, or recruiting volunteers. I learned the uh, I learned how to use the voter action network, which is like the van. Uh, I learned my and, and I was super competitive, right? So I wanted to make more phone calls than everybody. I wanted to get more voter registration forms than, than everybody. I wanted to get more volunteers than everybody. I, I just remember, but it, it was also a team effort because uh, one of the people I was trying to beat and everything, she was helping me with my data. And so I was helping her with volunteers. Uh, my, my, the, what I knew how to do was galvanize people. And so I didn't really care about the data portion about it at first, right? <laughs> All I wanted to think was like, hey, if I bring 100 people in this door and you bring 20 people through the door, I can send you 30 of my people to help you knock your turf too. So uh, that was my motivation. If I, if I work hard, I can, I can assist everybody else. And I, I, I kind of like enjoy doing that. And it didn't come from a weird place because I was also the guy who uh, everybody went out drinking with every single night after. So, <laughs> and was, here you are still a, a, a 180 solid muscle uh, Six foot two guy. No, I lost. I gained sixty pounds at one point. Uh oh. <laughs> I, I lost. I literally just lost sixty pounds, man. I, I, I rededicated myself to. Like over this past year, uh, I found out my grandmother had cancer before she died. I rededicated myself to my body, uh, to to my mind, to everything, just to prepare, not for her death because I thought she was gonna live forever, mm -hmm. but to prepare for uh, a, a bigger workload, a bigger, to shoulder a, a, a heavier load. Because I knew from three years from now, I was going to have to carry it all on my shoulders, right? So uh, I was just preparing for it and I knew I wanted to be in shape and I knew I wanted to like uh, live a long time. So uh, similar to you, brother, uh, Dick Dalton, some of, I'm probably doing some of the stuff you've been always doing and I'm just adapting it to my life uh, now. Man, I, you know, when I was, I, I haven't been, I've only probably been in one, two fights uh, since, since I was probably about uh, 16. Uh, so, I, I, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not dangerous at all, man. I, I was, I was actually, when I was in Colorado working on the uh, Mark Udall campaign, I was actually jumped by four white kids uh, simply for being black, you know, on uh, Juneteenth. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, it was 50 years. I, I never forget the day I was walking. I was leaving the baseball game at the Colorado Rockies Stadium and uh, walking past all the bars. And just literally one one guy pushed me and uh, the, and it just went from there. And yeah, but once again, it made me realize like, hey, I am still, this is still America. Anything can happen to me. You know, it, it kind of weirded me out, but it didn't it didn't dampen me on anything because 
didn't damp me on anything because I believe in like, I literally believe all of us are competitive. I think all of us are literally created equal. I understand privilege, uh, I understand white privilege, but I definitely, being from Atlanta, the reason why I think Atlanta can change it all is because it's white privilege, but not to me. I never saw in Atlanta, I didn't feel it because I've always felt privileged. You know what I mean? Like, you can't tell me somebody's privileged, more, more privileged than me because I, I've seen the obstacles I've beaten and they couldn't beat them, you know? I know they couldn't. You know, I was three years old, my mom was shot 27 times. What? So I so I grew up with no mom, no father, you know. So I knew I've always known, you know, my brother and my sister, they didn't graduate high school. But every everybody since me, every and before me, no man had graduated my family high school, my immediate family in 20 years. You know, so but since me, everybody graduated high school and everybody attempted college. You know what I mean? So I, I no one, I was, I've never felt, un, you know, un, unprivileged. I feel super duper blessed, you know, and I, and I wish I could give it away sometime, you know, help other people. How old were you when your mother was shot? Yeah, I was uh, three years old. And you were not the oldest? Uh, no, my brother uh, is older than me and my sister. She, my brother's two years older than me and my sister's two years younger. Okay. So... But we grew up in a house like where uh, my, my grandmother raised us. And so I, I've always, I grew up in the, what I call a trap house, right? With the, uh, what the world would call a trap house. Cause uh, you can come into my house and buy anything in the world you wanted. Uh, my grandmother uh, worked a job. Uh, she worked at, uh, at a bakery. And so she made uh, ice cream cones. And she was a very, very, very good person. Extremely good person. So she raised you uh, up in the church, uh, made sure. Nah, she didn't go to church. She didn't go to church. Oh, she didn't? She, she was very spiritual. She prayed every day. She didn't go to church. Uh, she, she, she raised me on like $14,000 a year salary. Three people. I mean, it was, it was probably about 20 people that lived in our house. And for six months out of the year, at least 20 people were living there. And that's uh, all south of uh, I-20. Yep. In zone three. Zone three. <laughs> and, and I never missed a meal. Like, not one, like three full course meals every day. Uh, what's your future feel like to you? Uh, bright. Uh, super bright. Wow. I believe that. You got me right there. Uh, but it's super, only because I believe in, uh, the, to me, everything has, to, I, I'm a planner, right? So I'm, I'm, okay, I'm okay with planning. It's a recent, planning has been recent to me. I used to not plan like anything because I was like, you never know how far you're gonna, how long it's gonna happen. So, but meeting my fiance and planning, the rest of my life and understanding where she already is and where she, you know, if you meet someone who's way smarter than you and, and she has like yeah, my, my best interest at heart and I'm able to plan and organize the rest of my life with her every night. And so uh, it's, it's going to, it, it, it makes me smile, you know, cause I know where it could go. 
Great. Are you uh, thinking of that state representative again? Or? Man, like, there's no, in my opinion, the state rep uh, job, it doesn't have enough. It, 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 I couldn't affect enough people. Okay. It, it, the, the, there are other seats around, around that probably would help more people, uh, but that state rep position uh, in the state of Georgia is almost like a silent position. Okay, uh, good to know. In Atlanta, we have a uh, problem, I think, in my community is that our city council person, she is voting against the community. Uh, because uh, sometimes you're allowed to sit in seats for 20 years and make votes that people don't know about. Uh, but now I'm no longer being quiet. You know, uh, what I tell my fiance is that my grandmother died uh, three months ago. And so you can't tell anybody on me anymore. And, so oh, now, and if I'm not doing anything wrong, in my opinion, right? So if I'm walking pure and my intentions are pure and I'm not doing anything wrong and you can't tell anybody on me and I'm not saying it in a disrespectful manner, I can say it. Mm -hmm. And if I see it, I'm going to see it. And what's seen can never be unsolved. And so uh, she's just messing up in so many different ways, our city council person. And I'm just no longer going to allow her to uh, sit in that seat and and you know, and be the person she's been this the, the past 20 years, you know, 16, 20 years. Yep. So you are looking for a city council seat? I'm not looking at it, I'm just watching her. Yes, okay. What I, what I, what I would term it as is I'm watching uh, the moves that she's making right now. Mm -hmm. Very good, which is uh, the way a community organizer wants to pay attention and observe first and then uh, strategize as you go. Yeah, I'm just watching her. I, I mean, I, what, what I mean by when I say I'm watching everything she does is because I think uh, in some seats, in some cities when, you know, when the empathy, the voter, let me cut this light on, sorry, but the, the voter empathy is so low, they don't really care. I mean, they care, but they don't know. And I'm just gonna make and I'm just gonna make people aware of what's going on. Well, that's what is happening. And so I'm no what, longer gonna allow her to. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I say I'm no longer going to allow her to just uh, make votes that are against the interests of the community. Excellent. Excellent. So. She needs to be accountable to the community. Yep, yep. That's that's the goal. Hold her accountable to the community because if she's the city council person, no one should call me for for you know things that she you know things that she should probably be doing. If they're calling me, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna hold her accountable on them all. I see. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, do you have uh, a network that goes? Far beyond La Atlanta, I know Josh Peters is. Isn't he up still in yeah. St. Louis? Actually, I think that you, part of part of the reason, because I believe in timing and God and everything and manifesting stuff. But my network I've built it, it goes far beyond Atlanta. My my network in Atlanta is probably the smallest of my networks. 
uh, but it's, it, it grew so rapidly, so quickly, so organic because I'm from the city. So uh, being from the city, being of the city and understanding that I grew up in the city with, with people, it, it will, I don't think I'll have a problem doing anything in the city of Atlanta, but beyond Atlanta, I've only, you know, beyond Atlanta, I think I have one of the greatest, that, 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 that network is, is, is awesome. You know, because I've lived, you know, my current work, I've lived in probably every city in America and I've done work with every, in every, in every corner. The thing is, I haven't really done work in Atlanta, but I'm a little league basketball coach here in Atlanta. I, uh, I received that award here in Georgia for work I did in my particular community. Uh, but my community uh, is my network and they will stand behind me. But the thing is, Atlanta's more of a, uh, it's a classism city. It's been a classism city for a long time. And uh, I'm, you know, I wasn't a part of that class. I think I got in uh, because of hard work. I think I'm gonna get. I, I think I'm, they, I'm so different from them because most of that class isn't from Atlanta either, or uh, they're second, third generation like uh, a wealth, you know, money in Atlanta. So I, I represent a totally different brand of people, uh, which is why in the protests that I've led look so, totally different. They look uh, more uniform and, well, not more uniform. They look uh, like it. they were the first ones in that area ever. Mm -hmm. They were people from that area. So. Right, right. Neighborhood people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, we only have a, a couple of minutes left. Do you, uh, do you have some message that you would like to share with uh, your Lincoln alums or uh, people of Jefferson City or, or Columbia or the world, whoever might be listening to this uh, podcast? Yeah, I, I uh, just keep fighting, man. I want to let everybody know we need you. Uh, this fight, this is the civil rights movement. Uh, this is another portion of it. The civil rights movement is not over. It never ended. Uh, we just had this struggle is an ongoing struggle. The new portion of it is the fight for, like, against police brutality. Uh, we've organized and we're mobilizing literally at police brutality. And we need everybody to understand, like, hey, police, are, they, they, are, they don't have a problem killing a black, a black man or a black woman for the same thing they would let someone else go for. And so I think that the thing is, we have to just change the way policing is done. And that's the only way we can truly affect what what policing looks like in America. Because I think we all know it's not right uh, when we see a black man being murdered on TV. Uh, we all have to say something, but here's what we need to say. Take some, reallocate some of that money. You know, let's aim directly at the reallocation. Not all of it. I don't say defund, I've never, I have yet to say defund the police. I say reimagine and reallocate some of the funding. Yeah. Like you do every other department in the world. Policing yeah. should not be the only department that expands every year. Right. <laughs> have, have you ever heard the phrase peace officer? Yes. Who gets called a peace officer? An officer so, of the peace. I, I, I think, isn't every police officer a peace officer? Well, I'm wondering if the language 
of calling them a peace officer might even be helpful in planting peace. <laughs> I, my, my first th thought was to change their name. But, uh, you know, in because you to, to, to really break something down, you got to go to the root of it. If the root of it came out of the slave patrol, let's change their name. But, peace you know, officer. The Brotherhood of, of the Fraternity of Police would never allow that. Well, I'm not against y'all neither, by the way. If, they, if anybody from the Brotherhood of Police see this, I'm not against y'all, brother. <laughs> y'all got to do nothing to me. I don't even want to be the leader. <laughs> and I think they understand that. Well, I, I think I'm going to start promoting peace officer. Yes, I'm, I'm with you. Officer of the peace, and uh, we will promote peace and peace in the community and peace in our interactions and uh, peace in our state and uh, peace in our world. Yep. And it all starts with peace of mind. So uh, I it's fantastic to have this hour with you, uh, busy man that you are and uh, the work that you're doing. I, I, I so commend you and uh, look forward to seeing good things continue. Thank you. Thank you. I Pray for, I thank, pray for me, pray for strength for me, and pray that, uh, you know, that, that everything that everything goes well. Uh, we can do that. We thank can you. do that. All right, Antonio Lewis, what a pleasure. Uh, folks, uh, it's been a wonderful hour. Um, remember, uh, wherever you are, that is your world. So please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it because if it is to be it is up to us take care and talk to you soon